You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everyone and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasa, your host, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we would like to welcome you to the show. Good morning, Alex. How are you doing? Good morning, Kathy. I'm well today. I'm really excited and yeah. I'm really looking forward to today. Looking forward to today's topic, your bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and that'll play into what we're talking about. For sure. Today's show is being taped, so no opportunity for questions or call-in. But if you hear something that you like and you want further information on it, you can certainly email us at thh at radiomaria.ca. Please do hit us up on our, our social media sites at uh, the Health Hub RMC on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, simply entitled The Health Hub. You can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud, all your favorite uh, podcast platforms, as well as coming directly to our website at radiomaria.ca and my website at kathybiasse.com. And if you do like what you hear, we'd love to hear your comments about it. We really, we really do appreciate things that are said about the show. We have amazing guests and we like to promote them and all of their information. We really do bring you a lot, a lot of information in our shows are jam-packed so please do spread the word if uh, if you hear something that you do like so today's show is a very very interesting one we're going to talk about sleep many many different aspects of sleep and our guest is highly involved in that area he's quite an expert in the area of sleep but before we get to Dr. Garcia real I wanted to maybe play into our theme by giving you some really cool brain facts our brain weighs approximately three pounds It's made of approximately 60% fat and is one of the fattest organs in the human body. Every time you recall a memory or have a new thought, you create a new connection in the brain. The average number of thoughts a person has each day is 70,000. Well, I don't know about you, but that seems like a whole bunch of thinking for me. So It's too much to even think about right now. Exactly. 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 I'm focused on one thing. So 70,000 thoughts in a day seems a lot, but that's what statistics say. Of the total blood and oxygen that is produced in our bodies, the brain gets 20% of it. That Mm. is a lot. The brain is capable of surviving for only five to six minutes if it does not get oxygen. The blood vessels that are present in the brain are almost 100,000 miles in length. That is ominous. It's quite an amazing statistic if you sit back and think about it. And do you mind just repeating that stat? The blood vessels that are present in the brain are almost 100,000 miles in length. Mm. It's it's really something. It's outstanding. It's it's still an enigma, the brain. There's so much to be learned about so many processes that go on in the brain. We have, um, you know, my area of specialties, which Mm -hmm. is cancer. We're just scratching the surface um, when it comes to that area of study. So fascinating stuff. I think you'll be really fascinated by our conversation today. Our guest is Dr. Edgar Garcia-Rill. He is the director of the Center for Translational Neuroscience, a professor of neurobiology and developmental sciences, and professor of psychiatry at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. He earned his Ph.D. right here in Canada from McGill University in Montreal in 1973. After postdoctoral training at the Department of Anatomy at the University of California at Los Angeles and the Neuropsychiatric Institute at UCLA, he joined the faculty at UAMS in 1987. Dr. Garcia Real has been continuously funded for his research for almost 40 years. That's outstanding. His interests include the control of voluntary movement and locomotion, which involves the study of spinal cord injury, as well as motor disorders like Parkinson's and Huntington's disease. He does research on the control of arousal and sleep-wake cycles, recently describing a novel mechanism for sleep-wake control outlined in his 2015 book, 
waking and the reticular activating system in health and disease. He is the co-inventor on six patents and collaborates with law school faculty on a series of six law reviews generally entitled The Law and the Brain, Using Science to Make Legal Decisions. Dr. Garcia Rail has served on NIH review panels for 30 years and was on the board of scientific counselors for the National Institute for Drug Abuse and the National Center for Rehabilitation Research. Today's learning points include why we sleep, what are the stages of sleep, are there disorders that manifest in sleep dysregulation. It's going to be a fascinating show. We'll be back in a few minutes. Welcome back, everybody. As mentioned earlier, our show is being taped, so no opportunity for call-in. But as mentioned, do email us at thh at radiomaria.ca if you have any questions or would like information regarding our guest, Dr. Garcia-Rill. Welcome to the show today, doctor. 
Thank you for having me. Well, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, it's a very interesting topic. We've talked about it on the Health Hub many times, circling different areas of health and how important sleep is. But, you know, to have a show actually describing sleep is is something that uh, is very important for all of us to, to understand. But how did you first become interested in researching the sleep and waking cycles? Um, I was working on an area of the brain that turned out to be related to both locomotion and to, and to arousal to sleep-wake states. Um, you know, our, our sleep-wake system controls our arousal in the cortex that allows us to make decisions as well as our posture and locomotion. If you hear a large bang, let's say you hear a, a backfire, what happens is that your cortex is alerted by the reticular activating system, but also your motor system is set. It, it's, it puts you into a third basement position. It inhibits extension, unlocks the knees, and gets you ready to what? To fight or flee. So while the cortex is aroused, it makes decisions about fight or flight, and you're ready to fight or flee. Mm-hmm. And so the same system that controls sleep and waking also controls basically survival. It's a, it's a homeostatic system. So it's, it's one of those things that it's absolutely essential for our survival and for maintaining normal function. So we, we um, for example, if you're 25 years old, you will have slept for nine years. Hmm. You will have dreamed for two and a half years. So if you think that sleep is not important, that tells you that the body requires it for actually more than one reason. There are lots and lots of reasons why we sleep. But sleep is a, is a really critical system. We have to sleep, and we evolved to sleep between seven and eight hours a night. So we need to find those hours um, because if, we, if we're sleeping on a, you know, uh, weeks and weeks at a time, if we're sleeping less than four hours or more than nine or 10 hours, there's something wrong. And that is a warning sign for a lot of other disorders. Well, why don't Um, we back up a a bit before we get into that? Uh, You said that we sleep for many reasons. Maybe we can break that down a little bit into chunks as to why we do sleep. What is the, the reason our body needs to sleep? Well, one of the one of the things that happens um, during one of the stages of sleep, which is called slow wave sleep, is that a lot of glucose uh, gets uh, incorporated back into the brain, and so we need that deep sleep that we get um, during the night. We we have uh, we go from light sleep to deep sleep, and then about ninety minutes into that deep sleep we begin to dream. And when we dream, uh, we go into rapid eye movement sleep for a a brief period of time. And then we go back into slow wave sleep. So we have about four or five cycles of slow wave sleep to REM sleep or rapid eye movement sleep during the night. In the first third of the night, that deep uh, slow wave sleep is what gets most of the glucose into our brain. And the, more, the longer you sleep and the deeper you sleep, especially early in the night, um, the more rested you are going to be during the day. If you don't sleep enough, then what you're going to be doing is you're going to have some kind of daytime sleepiness. So either in the uh, early or late afternoon or early in the, fall, in the evening. And so you need to get a lot of that glucose back into uh, the brain, and it happens during that first third of the night. Then slowly, um, towards the end of the night, you have less slow wave sleep and more uh, rapid eye movement sleep or dream sleep. Um, during during REM sleep, you use up a lot of the energy, that, a lot of the glucose that you've got into your brain. So you... Um, your brain seems to need to wake up every 90 minutes. And so the, that REM sleep is, is that excitatory drive that makes, you, um, makes your brain look like it's awake. When you measure brain waves, 
the brain waves during dreaming look like waking waves, um, but you're not really conscious. And, and so this activation every 90 minutes is part of the clock inside the brain that makes you um, makes the brain activated. It may be a survival function. So this may be another role of sleep, which is it doesn't want you to be too deeply asleep for too long just in case there's some predator out there that wants to eat you. Hmm. So there, there, there are additional reasons for, for sleep. And most of them have to do with the fact that you spend most of your time waking. And if you haven't had enough sleep, then you start making mistakes. You start uh, becoming, um, um, you, you have this excessive daytime sleepiness. Let's say that you have uh, seven or eight hours of sleep, okay? And somebody tests your reaction time um, in the middle of the afternoon. A, a person who's had good sleep, out of 100 trials um, of, you know, hearing, uh, seeing a light or, or hearing a tone and pressing a button, they might miss one, okay? And that's called a lapse. If, you, if you're deprived of sleep for one night, you might um, have anywhere from five to ten lapses. And what that means in, in practical terms is imagine driving down the freeway and closing your eyes for five seconds. That's what a lapse is. So the more sleep-deprived you are, the more of these zone-out times that you're going to have. And that's why truck drivers and, and uh, um, pilots, um, train uh, drivers, etc., they have to get their sleep. And, and there, are, there are lots of rules and regulations about drugs that influence sleep so that you make sure that your performance is adequate. I've got, I've got two questions that have popped into my head while I'm listening to you. Um, is it the hours of sleep or is it the quality? And if it is the quality of sleep, how do you improve that? The, 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 it's both. It's both. You, you, need, you can actually sleep, say, five hours in a night, but then you have a nice long nap. Um, and if you... Um, it, when you nap, if you nap for too long and you go into dream sleep, then you use up then you use up some of the glucose that you stored during the nap. So napping is kind of an art. Um, mm-hmm. In the afternoon, I take a 20 minute nap. I don't let it go any longer because I don't want to be dreaming and using up my glucose. So you'll be tired after you wake up. After if you your do, sleep, if you go that uh, far into your sleep, yeah. So, so, so you notice in some naps you wake up tired, and some naps you wake up refreshed. Well, that's because you waited too long during your nap and you used up some of your glucose. So, the 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 quality of sleep and the length of sleep are both important. One thing that we do know is that you need about seven to eight hours total uh, during the day. In the Middle Ages, people slept in had two sleep episodes. They would they would go to sleep, and then about three or four hours later, would wake up, they would talk about their dreams, and then go back to sleep and sleep for another three or four hours. Um, you know, at that time, there was no artificial light. It was just candles and, and stuff. And so, um, and there was plenty of darkness that had to be filled in um, with not doing much un- until, the, until the sun came up. So... Um, since we've had artificial light, we've got the industrialization, we've got uh, um, all kinds of pressures on our, on our waking hours, and now we have artificial light at night, then it pushes, it contracts the, the sleep time. And um, this idea that uh, if you sleep too much, you're lazy, is actually a really bad idea. It's really not correct. In fact, if you sleep too little, you're going to make mistakes. So there's a sweet spot right in that seven to eight hour. If you sleep longer than that, is that beneficial? No, it's actually not beneficial. And I'm I'm talking about nine or ten hours of sleep for weeks and weeks at a time. You know, 
this uh, sleep dysregulation sets in and resets your your homeostatic system for you for sleep and and pushes it out and there's a cause for that so it, it could be hormones it could be neurological disease it could be psychiatric disease all kinds of stuff are are going to influence this system so you have to find out what it is if you've been sleeping 9 or 10 hours for for weeks at a time. By the same token, if you've been sleeping just three or four hours a night, you need to resolve that issue because if you're waking up in the middle of the night and um, you're up before the birds, um, you're going to have problems um, maintaining waking during the day. So you need to find out what that problem is. Um, uh, almost every neurological and every psychiatric disorder that we know about uh, is presaged by sleep dysregulation. Um, for example, in Parkinson's disease, patients show sleep dysregulation as many as seven to 10 years before they ever started getting the clinical symptoms of the disease. And that's the same thing for all kinds of other disorders. Does so you have to find out, if you're sleeping too little or too much, you've got to find out what's, what the cause is. Now. Is it um, a circular thing? Is it the sleep disorder causing the illness or setting the stage for the illness, or is there illness symptoms that are causing the sleep problem? Is it is it a chicken and egg thing? Um, in the brain, there's no chicken and egg. Okay, so let's let's talk about how the brain works. The brain works. It does not work like a computer. It's not a digital device. It's not a zero or one. It's not an on or off. It's a waveform. It's a wavefront of activity. So it's analog. So think about the brain working not like a computer, but like an orchestra. So in an orchestra, you've got all of these different sections. If you start um, taking out the string section, well, you're not going to feel the problem. Uh, you're not going to see any problems if you're playing Sousa marches. But if you start playing Brahms, the music is going to sound pretty simplified and wrong. And that's what happens is that you're changing the overall sound of the music by having one part or another of the orchestra affected. And so so if you want you can you can see you can hear a semblance of a, of the music but it won't sound um uh, to its full um vibrancy. And so the the we you know the brain takes takes a pounding and and actually does quite well um, through a lot of damage that we may impart on it in terms of alcohol and drugs and um, head injury and, um, you know, um, banging your head against the, the glass on a, in a hockey game or, or all kinds of other uh, damages. And the brain really, really does quite well. But it gets to a point at which you've just lost enough cells or just had enough blood flow impaired that um, you're starting to see uh, the cycles. And it, be, it may be a violin player, or it may be a trombone, or it may be a percussion instrument. And that is what the disease is going gonna, is gonna to manifest as. Interesting. See? So, so it's, it's, all, it's all a balance, and it's like an ecosystem. And, and you'll be playing certain kinds of nice songs and everything will be fine. But whenever you try to, if you've gotten rid of the trombones, all of a sudden you try to play a Sousa march and you can't do it. Interesting. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I want to continue along with this, talking about trauma and head injury. And I also want to get into um, the wake cycle, which is as important as the sleep cycle, I'm going to assume. And you can correct me if I'm wrong when we get back from our break. There's a war in deep inside me 
things I shouldn't And I found myself working hard to just forget All that I did, I said I wouldn't Bring me back to the days of me remembering That your love, it has no limits So who will I choose? Me or you? Won't you wake me? Remember you love me I know that you do When my thoughts deceive my fragile heart I know that you're for me And I know that you are Even when my world's falling apart With you there's no worry Yeah, you planned my life from the start So what do I do? I choose you Cause I forget the things that I should do And I do the things I shouldn't And I find myself working hard to just forget All that I did, I said I wouldn't Bring me back to the days of me remembering That your love, it has no limits So who will I choose? Me or you? Won't you wake me? voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, email thh at radiomaria.ca. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Dr. Garcia Real. We're talking about sleep, and we're actually going to get into the wake cycle. Our show is being taped, so you cannot call in, unfortunately. But as mentioned, do hit us up on our social media sites at the Health Hub RMC on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and you can email us at radio maria thh at radiomaria.ca. Doctor Garcia Real, a couple of things that uh, I was thinking about during break that um, I think that our listeners would like to talk about. Uh, we could talk about trauma in the brain and have a totally different show um, about that. But let's get into some questions actually that I find fascinating. Um, and one is our, our reason for dreaming and what goes on when we dream. And the other question that couples with that is what if you don't remember your dreams? Are you actually still dreaming? Okay. So, um, so what happens is about 90 minutes into a, after we've fallen asleep, our brain is awakened. Um, it's been uh, kind of going along in nice, 
slow fashion where there's nobody home, there's no perception, there's no um, uh, kind of any kind of connection with the external world, then all of a sudden, if you measure the activity of the brain, the the cortex, the area of the brain on the surface, becomes very activated, and it paradoxically looks like you're awake, and that's why it's called paradoxical sleep. At the same time, what happens is that your eyes begin to to move around, and you become paralyzed. So tonight, when you're when you're looking at your spouse, if they're kind of tossing and turning, they're in slow wave sleep. All of a sudden, they become perfectly still. And you look at their eyelids, and their eyes are going back and forth 100 miles an hour. They're now in REM sleep, so they're dreaming. When the brain gets activated during dreaming, it paralyzes you. And so, and, and so it decreases the muscle tone and decreases the ability to perform voluntary movements. The brain does not want you to act out your dreams. On top of that, blood flow to the cortex is decreased. So you're also not the sharpest tack in the world, in the box. And so what happens is that you start dreaming and you have this, um, you know, you're flying around your house. You never say, hey, time out. Let's have a realistic dream. I can't fly. Let's get back on the ground. You never do that. Uh, You actually accept dream content at face value. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you've got decreased low frontal blood flow, which basically is the equivalent of things like schizophrenia and depression, so that you don't, you're really not very sharp, but your brain is activated and thinking up any old thing. Fortunately, you're paralyzed. Now, you you do that briefly at the beginning of the night, and then Long, for longer and longer periods. The second period, you might, the first period, you might dream for five minutes, second period for, you know, seven or eight, then 10 or 12. And then ultimately, in the morning, you wake up during a fairly long REM sleep period. Most people only remember the very last one. They can't remember the first, second, third, or even fourth, unless they woke up immediately after the dream and said, hey, I was just dreaming about so-and-so, and either wrote it down or whatever. So because blood flow is not high right after the dreaming, and you're still probably still paralyzed from it, you actually don't remember most dreams. You just remember the last one. Now, what that means is that... Hmm? No, yes. go ahead. You can go ahead and finish your thought. I just I have a question oh, okay. when you're done there. What that means is that dreams are an epiphenomenon of sleep. And so if if you want to take your chance, you go you can go analyzing them. I don't I don't even pay attention to them because I think it's just a an epiphenomenon and not worth my time. But there are diseases that arise. For example, what happens if you're not paralyzed when you dream? That's called REM sleep behavior disorder. And the person is asleep, but he can move around and act out his dreams. And that is a, is a really uh, scary uh, problem for the bed partner because uh, here's a guy uh, fighting a war and, and throwing uh, you know, his wife around the room by her hair, and he and she can't wake him up. And so, uh, fortunately, there's a very effective, very, very uh, um, good treatment for this, which is is not very uh, um, doesn't have very many side effects. And so, if you get a a good sleep physician to to um, to give you some clonopin, it takes care of that in in the vast majority of patients. When you wake up, especially in the teenage years, a lot of, especially girls, find themselves waking up and they're still paralyzed. The breathing has been slowed by the lack of um, muscle tone, but you're awake and you can't move. So that can be a kind of a panicky thing, and it's called sleep paralysis. And you just have to wait till 
till you know you wake up fully so that you can then begin to move so that that's not a pathological thing and usually you grow out of that um, there there are some drugs that may induce that um, drugs that are taken at night for certain disorders actually can cause uh, sleep paralysis in the morning and prolong that that uh, sleep paralysis when you wake up here's the other cool part about about waking up. For the first five minutes when you wake up, blood flow increases only to the brainstem and thalamus, the deep areas deep in the core of the brain. And it takes 10 to 15 minutes for blood flow to increase to the cortex. So the second you wake up, you're really not that smart. The one thing that you do know is that you are you. And this is a really interesting topic for me because how do you remember your you if you were asleep and there was nobody home during a slow wave sleep and you were dreaming about some crazy old thing during your dreams? How come, and you may have been somebody else during dreaming, how come you instantly remember who you are the minute you wake up? So there has to be some kind of memory, but it's not in the cortex. It's got to be in the brainstem. And so there are all kinds of things that we don't know about um, that, um, well, we need to answer um, because it does have relevance to all kinds of diseases and disorders. Well, what causes you, us to wake up? Um, what happens is that the, the brain ultimately times out and says, okay, uh, we've had enough uh, sleep and and it wakes you up during that last REM sleep episode um, and and it's very easy to wake up right because you're already alerted your cortex is already alerted uh, I'm I'm assuming that you've not been alerted by a sudden noise or 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 a problem in the room or you know somebody turning on the lights um, and so your brain wakes up and within you know, 10 or 15 minutes, your cortex is now back on and you're ready to think about uh, things and make decisions about what you're going to do next. And so the that level of activation of waking is now a different story. It takes a lot of energy for you to remain awake all day long, thinking 70,000... 70,000 thoughts, and performing all kinds of movements on a continuous basis. And so the, the brain works incredibly hard and at very high frequency. Um, when you put an electrode on top of the brain, the waves are very slow in the 1 to, to 4 per second range. But when you're dreaming, they go up to 30, 40 per second. And when you wake up, your brain is at you know, anywhere from 30 to 100 per second, the waves are going really, really fast. And so you're revving up the engine to do all kinds of different things. And not the, not, not the, all of the areas in the cortex are really at the same frequency, right? There's all kinds of, of things going on in separate regions of the brain. It's kind of like an orchestra. Mm -hmm. there, there are people playing over here and people playing over there, and some are just turning pages. And so you're, you're basically carrying out the music, but it is during waking that your orchestra is actually playing music. Um, when you're in slow wave sleep, there's nobody playing. There's no instruments playing. It's just kind of one drum beating slowly. And then when you're dreaming, uh, well, it's, it's like a Grieg opera or something. It's really kind of a haphazard thing that uh, that's going on what what happens if we are is it light that gives us energy it gives the brain energy to stimulate it to keep it awake uh, not necessarily there, there are two things that we know uh, the brain itself has intrinsic properties that is the brain is 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 idling okay and that gear, that idling gear, when it wakes up, 
now meshes with the external gear once you start getting input from the environment. And it is the internal activity meshing with the external activity that gives us reality. And so, so the brain is not uh, just a blank slate on which you superimpose reflexes. That was, that was Skinner's uh, behaviorism mm -hmm. where free will was not, um, was not, we were driven strictly by sensation. Well, we're not. We now know that, that the brain has intrinsic activity and generates all kinds of rhythms, all kinds of pathways. It's actually tuning up for the music of the day. And so it is the, the, the intrinsic activity plus the external input that allows us to relate to the world. Now, if our intrinsic activity is disturbed, then the way we perceive the external world is changed. If, in, for example, in schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, gamma activity, which is that fast 40 to 60 hertz activity, is interrupted. So imagine um, you're looking at me and we're having a conversation and your gamma band activity is, is a gap. It's kind of like not there for several seconds. You may actually perceive nothing or you may misperceive something. You may you may think there's a, a dog jumping through the wall and that's called a hallucination. A lot of people think that hallucinations are just dreaming while awake. That is rapid eye movement sleep intrusion into waking. And so the same system that controls arousal and assesses our world on a daily basis is the system that can become broken if you have cer certain diseases. And so there are lots and lots of ways in which um, uh, diseases can affect the way we perceive and the way we are awake. The other thing about waking is we need continuous gamma band activity. We need continuous high frequency activity in order to perceive, learn, and remember. So if we don't have that, then our memories are not um, nailed down and um, stored for future reference. So if, okay, that begs a question. So if we are not memori memorizing things, if we are not uh, creating a memory, is that an indication of aging, of a brain disorder, of perhaps lack of sleep, or a combination of the three? Okay, so people who age successfully, let's say that you have a 70-year-old without major neurological or sleep disorders, they don't sleep less. Okay, mm -hmm. the, the, the sleep-wake cycle in the aged individual should be pretty well around seven hours a night, and, 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 if, the, and if it's not, then you've got all kinds of other problems that you have to look into. It could be things uh, the, uh, the, like the thyroid. It could be hormonal uh, as well as, as neurological, psychiatric, or even just uh, uh, sleep apnea or, or some other uh, respiratory um, disorders. So, so that system is just a warning sign. It's like your thermostat in your house. As long as it's working well, everything's fine. If it cuts out... Uh, you could freeze during the winter or bake during the summer. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that that system is related to all kinds of other things. And the key is, what is the cause? Um, the two triggers you, you talked about triggers in terms of waking um, and food. If you you can synchronize your sleep wake cycles with two stimuli. One is light and one is food. Let's say a newborn doesn't have really good sleep-wake cycles, right? It hasn't quite gotten to the point at which it recognizes day and night. But if you, uh, the minute the baby wakes up, you take it outside for an hour or two of sunlight, they synchronize, they begin to synchronize for that waking time. And they'll start having longer and longer uh, sleep cycles that synchronize to that time. And then you also feed them. 
So both food and light uh, help synchronize the circadian rhythm and sleep-wake cycles. If you're flying to Europe and you're going to wake up at 7.30 in the morning, you want to have breakfast uh, just before on the plane and you want to sleep for six or eight hours before that. So you want, when you get in the plane, it may be four o'clock, but you want to treat it as if it's nine o'clock mm-hmm. and you're going to go to sleep so that you can wake up to the new synchronized by light and food time at your destination. And the same thing happens when you come back. What time am I going to land uh, back in Toronto and uh, what should I be doing in Europe before I do that? Well, what, a question has popped into my head. Um, we know that many people take medication to help them sleep. Um, now, the, the question I have, you've brought up key points that adequate sleep is vital for health. But if your sleeping pattern is not optimal, then there's an underlying issue. So where does medication come in on this? You know, the medication is, A, maybe promoting a better sleep, but it's not addressing the underlying cause. So what's your stand on on that? The the stand on that is you, if, if you're taking a medication that alters your sleep pattern, then you got to you got to make sure your physician knows about this because pretty soon you're going to pay the piper for not sleeping enough or uh for sleeping too long so you have to um you can't just take the medication you have to say hey hey doc one of my problems is that when i take this thing i'm sleeping you know 12 hours a day mm-hmm. so so you have to change the medication it may be something as simple as dosage you're just taking too much and you're sleeping for way too long. So what you want to do is you want to get into your seven or eight hours of sleep a night uh, because that makes you less likely to have uh, cognitive problems. In in a lot of diseases, you know, let's say that you have um, post-traumatic stress disorder or depression, et cetera, if, if you treat a patient and their sleep-wake cycles begin to normalize. They begin to, to sleep seven or eight hours a night. That's a really good indication that you've got them at the right dosage with the right drug. So, um, so you have to always think of your, your sleep-wake system as your big warning sign. It's your survival system. Without it, you don't survive. And um, that's it. You just don't. So you really do need to take care of it, and you really need to make sure that anything you're taking is really um, uh, leading to your healthiest lifestyle. A lot of, let's say you're a pilot, you know, you, you can't drink for, I don't know, 12 hours or 24 hours beforehand, and you can't take any um, any drugs for that are sleep aids um, within 24 hours or something like that. But a lot of people don't realize that, for instance, uh, there are certain drugs, like anti-malarial drugs, that make you really, really sleepy. And so uh, a pilot who has malaria has got real problems and needs to be conscious of the fact that some of the drugs that they're taking could really make them very, very sleepy. And, and that's not a counterindication, and that's really not against regulations because most people don't realize um, some of the side effects of these drugs. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a, an anti-cancer drug, uh, trichostatin A, that we just discovered um, causes massive um, decreases in gamma band activity. And so uh, cancer patients are going to get very, very sleepy the more of the stuff they take. And so you have to find a kind of... Um, a fine balance. The happiest medium you yeah. can, yes. Where, try to make sure that you get enough sleep and not too much. So where is your research taking you from here? Are you are you doing any research into novel fields that um, we can follow along? It, we have just made a, a major discovery um, in which we find that um, these gamma band oscillations 
um, lead to gene transcription, which is a really, really amazing thing. Well, that means that when you wake up, you start making proteins. Right. And a very specific type of protein. And, and we have three pathways that we're looking at right now. And that means that um, that you're making the brain, you're making a new brain um, the minute you wake up. And when you go to sleep, that stops. So um, you're, you're, you know, you were talking before about how, how things change your brain and, and you can make new connections um, memory-wise, right? Mm-hmm. Well, these are connections just because you woke up. And one of the things that we're thinking is that, you know, maybe this is the memory of you. Maybe that's you. Fascinating <laughs> maybe stuff. It, you remember that you were you is because you actually were making um, some proteins that lasted the entire night. So the more discoveries you make, the more questions you have. It's a circle of life, I guess. It's it's fascinating topic, and, and really, we thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, we will have um, we will have you back for sure to talk about. You know, we can like we branched off into so many different areas, and there's so many things that we could talk about. But do uh, you know? Do really understand that we greatly appreciate um, you know putting us into your schedule. I know you're very busy. So thank you everybody for listening, and we will join you next week on the Health Hub. Hosted by Kathy Biasi here on Radio Maria Canada.